No Ugly, Yes Please. No Ugly is created in New Zealand by a small, determined and innovative team whose mission is to eradicate ugly. It's inherent in the ingredients we choose, the products we create and our business values and behaviours. We are proud to be part of the global wellness movement, making a difference for the wellness of our people and our planet, right here from the cleanest, greenest country at the bottom of the world. No Ugly's range of functional beverages are scientifically formulated to get you back to gorgeous. With natural ingredients, they've created a truly functional range of beverages with proven health claims. And unlike any other health drinks, their entire line is low sugar but tastes amazeballs. Get back to gorgeous with No Ugly Skin and 10 grams of marine collagen. Detox, the hangover dream. Hydrate, like an isotonic rain in the desert. Libido, yes, yes, yes. Immunity, it's to live for. Sleep, sweet dreams. Focus, your personal laser. Gut, for shits and giggles. And now calm, it's like a cuddle from your mum. They have three different formats, 250ml glass bottles, 330ml cans, and now 100ml glass shots. No ugly? Yes, please. This is the I Quit Sugar podcast, Unprocessed, brought to you by No Ugly Wellness Tonics. Hi, I'm JJ from I Quit Sugar. And I'm Peter, founder of Goodness Me, which is your go-to good-for-you grocery store. We're here out of a deep desire to help you live your healthiest life. We've both been through health journeys which have been transformative in how we live our lives and approach each day. After learning how to manage my autoimmune condition through food and lifestyle, I realized that we live in a world where we are overfed and undernourished, but it can be as easy as some simple changes that can have a huge impact on how your body operates and how you feel day to day. I've also been through a very confusing and oftentimes overwhelming health journey which started with gut dysbiosis and developed into thyroid issues and now an autoimmune condition that I'm still learning about. We don't want you guys to go through what we have. It can be a lonely, overwhelming and often conflicting and confusing world. So we're hoping that these conversations inspire you to dig a bit deeper, cut through the noise and help you live a healthier life. Health is wealth at the end of the day. So I Quit Sugar are bringing you an eight-episode series where we interview some incredible people who have so much wisdom to share on different areas of health and well-being. It's our hope these conversations inspire you to take control of your health and live your fullest life in the process. Our guest today is Megan Donovan. Meg is a naturopath who was drawn to naturopathy after her first yoga class in 2015. Naturopathy became not just something she studied and now having the privilege of calling it her work, it's how she lives. Meg is in continuous consideration of her well-being and provides her body with what it needs to thrive. Her purpose is to support, educate, and empower people to attune their body's natural healing processes and enrich their journey to wellness. She's particularly interested in women's health and hormones, creating cycle awareness, puberty, premenstrual syndrome, acne, PCOS, optimizing fertility, pregnancy, the fourth trimester, and everything in between. With the use of herbal medicine, dietary recommendations, nutritional therapy, and lifestyle modifications, she encouraged your body's innate ability to heal and rebalance into thriving health. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 
That is a long list of specialties. <laughs> it is incredible to hear. So we can't wait to get into it. But I'd love to start by asking you, what's one ritual you did this morning to set you up for the day? Mm, I absolutely live by my morning routine. So this morning I made a chai and I sat down on my balcony with my cat and I just journaled for 15, 20 minutes. I like to take some time in the morning to just reflect before looking at my screens, which I try not to do until after 8am. So that's one thing that I did this morning, but I just, yeah, I love my time in the morning, whether that's through movement or mindfulness or yeah, just not looking at my screens. I love that. I've heard journaling is really powerful. Do you just do free thought writing when you do that? I do. Yeah. I tend to just kind of write um, whatever's going on, whether I'm working through something personally or professionally, or just writing out, you know, how I slept. Um, And I do try and do it quite consistently. So I just go with whatever comes up at the moment. So Meg, there's a lot we want to cover on today's episode. And we know you've just got so much knowledge, as I've mentioned, but um, given it's 35 degrees today (laughs) and sweltering hot where we are at the moment, we thought we'd start with hydration and just some (laughs) obvious and not so obvious signs of hydration and what we need to know about. Hydration is one of the foundations of health, which is what I talk a lot about with my clients is making sure that we're actually getting the foundations of health right. So these things are our diet, our hydration, of course, our sleep, our exercise and mindfulness or relaxation joy, things like that. So I think it's a great place to start. Um, And some obvious signs of hydration will be number one, feeling thirsty And then there's things like having a dry mouth or noticing some dark colored urine, strong smelling urine, perhaps um, constipation as well. And um, I suppose there's that whole myth out there to have eight glasses of water a day. What's your view? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Look, I don't know. I think that just with most things, water intake is really highly individual. So I personally suggest that people calculate their water intake needs by their body weight. So I suggest um, basically we need about 33 mils of water per kilo of body weight. And then you want to add an extra 300 mils per hour of exercise. And again, another 300 mils per caffeinated or alcoholic beverage um, as they're both diuretics. So if that's too much math for someone to kind of calculate how much they're moving, how much they weigh, all that sort of stuff, I really simply just recommend people are aiming for about two to three liters of water, maybe adding a little bit extra if you're moving or you're sweating, it's particularly hot or um, having coffee or alcohol. Yep. Yeah. I started doing yeah. that maths in my head as yeah, I was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw we all have our bottles of water today as yes. well, which is something I've consciously been trying to do because I usually don't walk around with one actually. So I think that's yes. amazing, so. it's such a great way of tracking your intake as well as how many, how often you're filling up your water bottle and Keeping it interesting as well. I know people forget to drink water, but keeping it interesting by adding some fruit or some citrus or something like that in there and then hydrating through herbal teas is also really effective. 
Yes, mm. that's a great idea as well and to know that that counts too. So Yeah, of course. And what's the um, the benefits of being hydrated? Like how do you feel on the flip side when you are adequately hydrated? Yeah, yeah. So when we're adequately hydrated, so some things that you'll notice um, opposed to being dehydrated is improved cognition, temperature regulation, stabilised energy, Um, And it's really important that we're hydrated so that our water-soluble vitamins can get delivered into our cells and then they're able to be used for proper use, which is absolutely vital for organ function. So there's so many benefits to being hydrated, but yeah, just feeling really well, having mental clarity and things like that. We're going to jump to a bit of another topic, which is something I know the I Quit Sugar community is quite passionate about because PCOS PCOS is something that impacts a lot of them and we know it's something that you really specialize in. Mm. Um, Can you talk us through for those who don't know what is PCOS and what are like the signs and symptoms for it? Yeah absolutely so PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome and it affects around 12% of women And despite the name, it actually cannot be diagnosed with an ultrasound that simply reports polycystic ovaries. Mm. So I know that might actually sound a bit confusing since the name is suggesting that poly multiple cysts on the ovaries. It sounds like it's just polycystic ovaries, but it's actually better defined as a group of symptoms related to anovulation, which is a lack of ovulation and high level of androgens or male hormones. So it is much more than just multiple cysts on the ovaries, unlike the name might suggest. And it is essentially a problem with ovulation, which will result in the overproduction of androgens. To be diagnosed with PCOS, the Androgen Excess Society says um, a woman must present with ovarian dysfunction. So that might look like irregular cycles or polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. Um, So it's either or that irregular cycle or the polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. Um, Then you must present also with clinical or biochemical hyperandrogenism. So the difference there is either having high androgens on a blood test or presenting um, symptomatically with high androgens. And that might look like things like acne, increased um, hair growth or excessive hair growth um, or hair loss, hair thinning, those sorts of things. Um, And the third part of the criteria is that other reasons for high androgens have been ruled out as well. Right. And out of interest, what causes do they know those high androgens, like really getting to the root of it all? Yeah. So um, there's so many, there's four different types of PCOS and it's really important to identify what type of PCOS you have. So the main picture is that high androgen picture and there are four different types. So there's insulin resistant PCOS, there's post-pill PCOS, inflammatory PCOS and adrenal um, PCOS. They're all presenting with that elevated androgen. However, they all have different drivers. Okay. And so is that all like driven by inflammation in the body based on, you know, whether any of those four things I'm thinking, if you're coming off the pill, there's maybe a lack of nutrients or maybe your body doesn't know how to have 
a normal cycle in the first place because you've been on the pill. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, I mean, inflammation plays a role in pretty much every condition. Um, so that would definitely be a factor, especially in inflammatory PCOS. And then insulin resistant PCOS is going to be an inflammatory picture there as well. Um, for post pill PCOS, to your point, if you're coming off the pill, the body hasn't had to create its own hormones and regulate the menstrual cycle. So when we come off the pill, the body's a little bit confused and doesn't know how to cycle naturally. Um, and when we're on the pill as well, um, it shuts down our androgen production, which might sound like a nice thing if you have PCOS and you're experiencing acne and all of those other symptoms of high androgens. But the pill only works at suppressing those androgens for the time that you're on the pill. So when you come off the pill, um, there can be a really big surge in those androgens. And that's when we'll see acne return with a vengeance. Mm, right. So can the pill, if I understand correctly, can it be a cause of PCOS or does it just sort of mask the signs and symptoms? It can be one of the causes of PCOS. So it can be a post-pill PCOS. So you're not going to probably see it while you are taking the pill. But when you come off the pill, because those androgens have been suppressed while you've been on it, um, you can have that surge of androgens when you do come off the pill. And remembering that one of our key factors of PCOS is elevated androgens. So getting back on the pill isn't necessarily going to regulate your menstrual cycle because that's not what it does it shuts down our hormones um but it will kind of reduce those signs and symptoms but you're not actually getting to the root cause as to why those signs and symptoms are there in the first place i suppose what are some of the the symptoms of pcos so you've got the signs to tell that you might have it but yeah what are some of, yeah the symptoms after that you might feel or or be a result yeah yeah so you have um you have irregular or absent periods so something like less than nine periods a year or cycles that are greater than 35 days um is one of the signs and symptoms of pcos you have the facial hair hair thinning acne, particularly around that jawline and the chin area as well. Sometimes weight gain can be a presentation of PCOS um, and difficulty conceiving as well can be a presentation. And is there anything women can do about this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so many different diet lifestyle factors that can play a role in supporting the management of PCOS. There's no cure per se, but you can change your diet, change your lifestyle, um, implement some herbs um, and some therapeutic nutrients in the diet too. And what kind of diet and lifestyle changes specifically can people implement? In terms of diet, um, it really comes back down to the recommended diet for the general population, right? Which is just a healthy diet. Um, and what that actually consists of is first and foremost, making sure that we're eating enough with some women, a lot of women that I see in clinic simply just aren't eating enough and they're undernourished, which means we're not con consuming enough protein or carbohydrates to create the hormones that are required for regular ovulation. Um, so therefore we might have that anovulatory picture, um, making sure that we're consuming enough 
protein in the diet as well. Um, that helps stabilize our blood sugar. It's required for energy, muscles, um, neurotransmitter, hormone production, so many different things. And then in a healthy diet, we want to make sure we're having enough healthy fats as well. So they're really important for hormone production too. And then some general kind of guidelines would be consuming organic food where possible to reduce any oxidative stress or inflammation on the body too. Um, consuming an abundance of vegetables and minimizing and avoiding sugar where possible too. Mm. And have you seen um, clients' uh, PCOS symptoms reverse from diet and lifestyle itself? Yes, in conjunction with herbal medicine as well. I think they can all work really well together, but diet plays a absolute key um, key treatment um, in the management of PCOS as well. Yeah, amazing. And so yeah. nice that something, you know, so natural that you do have control of can be mm. something to try, help and manage. Yeah. Just with the diet, so, and the inflammation side of things, do you recommend like people remove certain inflammatory things that maybe they've been consuming mm. alongside, you know, all the, the fruits, vegetables, proteins, healthy fats? Mm. So. Yeah, is, is that what you'd also recommend? Yeah, great question. I kind of outlined what is included in a healthy diet, but what isn't included in a healthy diet um, is, of course, um, excess sugar. So refined sugars and refined carbohydrates are going to increase our blood sugar. And if you have that insulin-resistant PCOS, mm. that's going to be driving that. Um, so definitely avoiding um, removing sugar if you have insulin-resistant PCOS. Um, and then avoiding things like trans fats, which can be inflammatory on the body. Um, and then if you do also have an acne picture, it could be relevant for you to avoid dairy as well. But it's really depends on the individual mm. with Why that one. Why is that with, with dairy? So I've, I've noticed that I've, I don't know, I've had issues with dairy through the years. Yeah. But I've been okay lately. And then I upped my dairy um, as I changed my diet slightly, I was trying to get a bit more protein. So I wasn't so hungry. And um, I noticed I started to break out. I was like, oh, I think yeah. it's the dairy. So what, yeah. what is that link there? Yeah. So dairy increases something called insulin growth like factor. And so it's increasing that in insulin, which um, in turn increases our androgen production and androgens increase sebum in the skin, which is what right. is promoting the acne if there's too much sebum in the skin and excess um, cell turnover as well so it's that kind of dairy increasing that insulin growth like factor which increases um, androgens and sebum production mm, interesting is there anything else specifically that drives the androgens or just dairy um so definitely dairy um Oh gosh. And probably what you've also just mentioned, like the trans fats and. Yeah. Just in terms of, yeah, inflammation um, and a lack of ovulation, things like coming off of the pill and suppressing that, um, those androgen levels and then having that surge as well. You know how deserts are all dry and sandy with thorn bushes and scorpions. Then it rains and suddenly everything's covered with wildflowers and bursting with beauty and life. Well, that's exactly how it works with no ugly hydrate scientifically formulated to help you hydrate faster. No Ugly Hydrate's got all the good stuff. It's isotonic for fast absorption. It's got Enzogenol, one of nature's most powerful antioxidants. 
It has Fibersol 2, an excellent source of dietary fibre, plus it has 10 essential vitamins and minerals. The Black Doris Plums aren't essential. We just put some in because they taste so good. Then we put it in a dark bottle to protect all those healthy ingredients from the light. If you're into intense workouts, intense night outs, or intense anything outs, you'll know how important good hydration is to stay on top of your game, physically, mentally, and emotionally. No ugly hydrate. Drink yourself back to gorgeous in no time. And what about supplements? You mentioned obviously then integral part. What kind of supplements yeah. do you usually look at? Yeah, so again, it really depends on what type of PCOS that you might have and it will supplementation will um, differ depending on the different type that you might have. But some key um, herbs that are used in the treatment of PCOS or the management of PCOS rather um, are peony and licorice. They work really well together. They work synergistically to inhibit the production of testosterone as well as blocking androgens as well so together they kind of work to normalize female hormones um, another one which is a nutrient myo-inositol will help improve insulin sensitivity help reduce androgens and also assist in restoring ovulation as well which is helping when we're restoring ovulation that is restoring the female hormones as well, which are going to then reduce the male hormones too. Then there are things like um, zinc, which nourishes the ovarian um, follicles to promote healthy ovulation and also have that anti-androgen effect. And they're also anti-inflammatory for, uh, zinc is also anti-inflammatory for the skin too. So you've got a couple of different factors there for zinc. Um, and I guess finally, just keeping it quite kind of general and across the board, magnesium, which is going to support um, insulin sensitivity and supporting the nervous system as well. Meg, I'd be interested to know if someone went to um, like, a, I don't know what kind of doctor you'd go to for this, but what would be the usual protocol from that side versus mm. going down the supplement route, like something more um, do I say conventional? Conventional, conventional? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think um, often what will happen is if a woman's presenting with these PCOS-like symptoms, so if they're having acne or they don't have their period and then they go to the doctor, it's really common for them to be prescribed probably the pill because um, I think, oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but maybe there aren't as many kind of allopathic um, recommendations for managing PCOS or those dietary and lifestyle aspects aren't as well known um, in that community. So it's often with the women's health conditions, they're being prescribed the pill kind of for most things, whether it's pain, whether it's an absent period or it's skin, whatever it might be. Right. And then what if you are trying to get pregnant and then the PCOS is getting in the way of that? Um, yeah, how does one manage that then? Yeah, so I think from my perspective, if um, someone was presented with PCOS then and they had goals of conceiving, then we would really want to work on restoring ovulation and we would do that through the diet and lifestyle things that we've talked about, implementing a specific protocol to them to restore ovulation, make sure they're regularly ovulating. And then um, we talk about all of the preconception stuff and identifying ovulation and all of that so they know when to start trying. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I suppose this naturally leads onto the topic of women's health and fertility. Yeah. And then obviously being aware of our menstrual cycle. What's, what yeah. do you commonly see um, in clinic with your patients and that you think we should be aware of? So what I will kind of commonly see in clinic is women want to be aware of their menstrual cycle and they're often quite shocked that they're in their mid mid 20s sometimes 30s sometimes 40s and they haven't really ever known about the different phases of their menstrual cycle or known much else about it other than the bleed and we're all aware of the bleed and a lot of us are probably aware of the lead up to the bleed as well all of those fun symptoms that we we've all experienced but when we reach probably 25, 30, and we become more interested in ovulation because we might be considering starting a family or something like that. So we know about the bleed from a pretty young age, and then we get interested about ovulation when we kind of want to start thinking about starting a family. However, what most women who come to my clinic aren't aware of are that there are actually four distinct phases of the menstrual cycle where you're going to feel different in every single phase. So you're going to feel different in the lead up to your period than when you have your period in the lead up to ovulation and when you're ovulating as well. Your energy needs are going to be different. Your focus and cognition is going to be different. Um, And they're all such unique phases as well. So when we become aware of the different phases, we're really able to schedule to our cycle, which is something I love talking to women about because we're able to really maximize our productivity or we're able to sink deeper into our rest as well. When we know what phase am I in at the moment? When is the best time to schedule a work meeting or schedule my social events or schedule that yin yoga class? Yeah. Are you able to explain the four different phases? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the um, the follicular phase, which is where um, the egg is being is maturing, and that is our first um, the first phase of our cycle. So if we think about the menstrual cycle, let's say twenty eight day cycle, even though that's actually more uncommon than common, but if we have a twenty eight day menstrual cycle. Days one to five is when we're having our period. So that's the bleed. And then from days one to, um, and that's menstruation. So that's kind of the, what let's consider the first phase. Um, So from days one to five, we've got our menstruation and then often ovulation will occur um, on day, let's call it day 14, if we're just going with a 28 day cycle. And that's when we'll have a rise in estrogen. And so that makes us feel really fun, perhaps flirty. We're kind of feel like superwoman and we can tick off everything in on our to-do list and really feel like we're coping. When estrogen sort of comes down, we're sort of losing a little bit of that super superwoman energy. We've ovulated And then what's meant to happen is um, progesterone is meant to kind of come in and offset the kind of fall of estrogen. So it comes in and it's quite calming. It's like, you know, known as nature's Valium. So when our progesterone comes in, it's meant to make us feel really nice and calm. And then we can kind of cope better with um, the lead up to our period. And we're not meant to be experiencing all of those, um, you know, symptoms that often precede the menstrual cycle, like headaches and pain and brain fog and all those sorts of things. So 
just to kind of summarize, we have the follicular phase, which is from the first day of your period up until ovulation. So that's about 14 days. And then we have ovulation, um, which is another phase, which only lasts about a day, 24 hours. And then we have the luteal phase, which occurs after ovulation and lasts up until um, the day before your, your next period, which then you'll enter the follicular phase. Right. I think um, I can totally relate as well. I mean, I know when only I wanted to have a baby, you're like, okay, I'm going to get across this. You download the flow app, which yeah. is very common, which you probably see. And so, um, yeah, it's something we're not taught about a lot growing up at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important. And if, you know, if we're able to understand our menstrual cycle and we know that in that follicular phase, in those first five days, we're bleeding. And so we're likely to have reduced energy because we're losing blood and that takes a lot of physical energy as well. So that's a time where you might want to be a little bit more introverted, do things like um, have do a yin class or go for a gentle walk. Maybe you want one-on-one time with an introverted friend. And then leading up, once you're kind of coming out of the bleed phase, your estrogen is slowly rising. And that's when you might start feeling more social and you want to schedule you know, dinners, dates, things like that. And then ovulation, you really want to be like hosting meetings and doing podcasts and things like that. Um, And if you're trying to conceive, of course, um, having sex in that phase as well. And then when we come out of that phase, going into our luteal phase, that's when we want to be slowing down um, and just making sure that we enhance our rest as well. Um, not going so hard at the exercise so that we can have a really gentle menstrual um, menstrual bleed. Mm. And um, I suppose something we also want to touch on was the pill, which yeah. I think um, a lot of conversations happening at the moment. I know our generation, it was a big thing, you know, to help control your skin when you were younger yeah. as well, to mm. go on the pill immediately. And I know a lot of friends and including myself, you've been on it for over 10 years or something straight. So yeah. are you able to talk to us about that conversation and, and what you've been seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a kind of common um, picture that women go on the pill from a really young age and that might be, you know, a year or two after they've got their period because, oh, it's irregular when our body's only just starting to learn how to cycle. Our body's only just getting used to increased um, amounts of estrogen. So the cycle in the first until you're 18 is likely going to be irregular. And it's really important in that phase not to mess with it with herbs or with medication as well. We really want the cycle to find its own rhythm and its own flow there. Um, But what we will see is um, women get put on the pill from quite an early age because their cycles are regular because they've got acne, um, because they've got painful period or because it's simply just what everybody else is doing, right? Mm -hmm. And then they'll stay on the pill for 10 years or however long until they're ready to conceive and have babies, Um, at which point they'll come off the pill and they'll see all of their pre-pill symptoms come back again. So if you're going on the pill for acne to reduce your acne, that's what happens, as I mentioned earlier, is that we're shutting those hormones down. We're not ovulating. um, So we're not producing all of the hormones that the body requires. 
um, to ovulate. And then we're also shutting down um, our androgens, which yes, will reduce the acne, right? But then when we're coming off it, it's going to increase the acne mm-hmm. and all of those symptoms are just going to return afterwards. And so then what are some other options out there if if a woman doesn't want to be on the pill, maybe they can't do some of the other mainstream options. What else mm. do you suggest? Yeah. So um, in terms of contraception, I think that's, I guess, another thing that I want my patients to know and that we're not often taught in school is that you actually can't get pregnant every day of the month. So there's that. And a lot of my patients, not a lot of my patients, but I've had this conversation with quite a few people that they didn't realize that they can't get pregnant every single day of the month. You can get pregnant six days of the month, and that is the day that you ovulate and the five days leading up to ovulation as well. And that's because sperm can survive in the female reproductive tract for about five days. So there's the five days plus the ovulation day. So in terms of um, contraception, aside from the humble condom, um, there's also the fertility awareness method. And this method, I really like it because it kind of plays into what I mentioned earlier around just becoming aware of your cycle and your body's natural rhythm as well. So the fertility awareness method includes um, documenting your cycle. So tracking in an app or something like that. So many different apps out there. So marking on your calendar, when is your bleed? How long is your bleed? What's your flow like? Um, and then tuning in also to the signs and symptoms of um, of fertility and ovulation as well. And that looks like mostly tuning into your cervical mucus and learning about the different, um, different types of cervical mucus. So um, leading up to ovulation, you might have kind of quite sticky and tacky cervical mucus. You probably, you might be fertile then, but not the most fertile. And as you progress and move further into ovulation, the cervical mucus becomes more slippery, more creamy, and a little bit more wet. And that's when you know um, that you're really fertile during that time. So while you're kind of tracking your cycle with your calendar, You can also track your signs and symptoms. So the cervical mucus that I just mentioned and another effective way to track your, if you're ovulating and um, when you're ovulating is using basal body temperature. And how this works is basically you take every morning, you take your temperature first thing in the morning without moving, without having a coffee or anything like that. You're still in bed and you enter into your app what your temperature was the same time every day. And what you'll notice is in the follicular phase of the menstrual cycle, your temperature is on the lower sides around that kind of 35, 36 mark. It's going to be different for everybody. And then as you progress through the cycle, you will see a, um, a sudden increase in temperature. And that will occur after ovulation. And the reason that occurs is because um, progesterone, which is um, released after ovulation, increases our body um, basal body temperature. So you'll see um, around ovulation that your temperature has risen. And after about three days of consistently kind of higher temperature, you can confirm that you have ovulated and it is now safe to have unprotected sex um, if you're not trying to conceive. Now, the thing about um, fertility awareness method is that it's more of a re- retrospective way of seeing if you have ovulated 
And you do need to do this for about three months. And I probably suggest you work with a practitioner on this as well. Um, You do that for about three months so that you can accurately predict when you are going to, when the fertile window is going to be open Um, and then either avoiding um, having sex in that time if you're trying to avoid um, conceiving or actively trying in that time if you're trying to conceive. Are there apps that you'd recommend for that? What did you call it, the basal? basal Yeah, basal body temperature. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I personally love Kindara. Um, there's got, they've got a lot of function in there and it's really easy to track your temperature in there, but there's also lots of different av- devices like the temp drop, which you can wear at night and track your, your temperature that way, or there's rings and all sorts of things. But I, I personally really like Kindara. So interesting. And, um, what are your thoughts on the pill for men? Do you know much about that? Oh, I personally haven't, um, looked too much into the science of that or anything, but I think from my personal perspective, and this isn't really based on any, anything that I've read so far, I just feel that since we've, we've learned a lot from the pill for women. So in my opinion, I think it's most important. And I think the first line would be for us to become more aware of our fertility and our signs of fertility and our body rather than, um, putting somebody on more medication. So that's just my own personal, um, opinion there. I think people might differ from that. I agree. And I probably wouldn't trust them either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's always that as well. I just think, you know, we've seen the side effects of the pill and unfortunately we've been the guinea pigs on that, but I don't think we should then therefore make the men do it now. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, in a conversation with friends the other week and it's amazing the initial resistance from men when they hear it. Yeah. You think, you know, we've been doing it for decades, guys. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not to say they should do it, but just, you know, the reaction is interesting, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just on the cycles again and and regularity, what would you define as something that, you know, to be um, to be concerned about in terms of irregular mm. periods? So I know that sometimes I can be bang on and then some months, you know, I, I'm, maybe I'm stressed or haven't been eating mm-hmm. so well and, you know, it can differ by a few days. Is that something to worry about or, you know, is that is that quite normal? Yeah, I think it's a important question. What is a normal cycle? What is a healthy cycle? And that typically looks like about three to five days of bleeding. And we don't want, um, we don't want to be having to change our menstrual products, whether it's the period underwear, the pad, the tampon, whatever you're using every two hours. So that's a little too frequently. Um, you probably want to be changing it if, um, you know, because it's full probably every four to five hours. Um, otherwise, sometimes people do it more for just cleanliness. And then so that's in terms of bleed length and bleed flow. And then in terms of cycle length, um, anywhere between 24 and 35 days is healthy and normal and will differ between women. If yours is kind of going from 28 days to 26 or 32, that can be really normal and that's totally okay as well. Um, but yet, yeah, just being mindful of those things that you mentioned, like stress, or you might be under eating some months and just knowing that, yeah, that you might need to kind of address that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then we're all about, you know, the benefits of, of eating and what impact that can have um, on your life and your overall well-being. 
And yeah, we're really passionate about getting people inspired to get in the kitchen and and cook Mm. healthy meals for themselves and for their households. Is there anything that you've cooked in the past couple of weeks that's a real winner that you can share with us and our community? Yeah, absolutely. I love, um, I make this vegetarian lasagna and instead of using ricotta cheese, I use a cashew cheese. Mm. Um, So I love, I just, yeah, love making that. Delicious. So vegetarian lasagna, is it like with pulses or lots of different veggies laid upon each other? Yeah, lots of different veggies. I'll blitz the um, the capsicum, the zucchini, the onion and kind of use that as a layer and I might kind of roast some eggplant and zucchini and layer that in as well, as well as having my lasagna sheets and tomato bases. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get the recipe from you and we'll put it on the um, site for anyone who wants yeah. to give it a try. Meg, thank you so much. That was so interesting. I think we both learned so much. Mm. If people want to find out more about you or learn more about what you've been chatting about, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, so you can find me um, on Instagram and I am at in bloom naturopathy or I'm also practicing for the Boob to Food Clinic, which has recently opened as well. So you can find me over there too or on my website, which is um, www.inbloomnaturopathy.com. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Meg. No worries. This podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.